Hello everyone and welcome to Now You're Playing With Power, a Nintendo podcast. My name is NBZ and this, my friends, is the bicenten... I'm trying to think of the word for 20 that's really complicated and fancy, but I can't come up with one. It's it's our, it's our, it's our double digit two second version I can't think thing. of the word. There is a word. There's probably a special word. You know, you can. How about you tweet us? Tell us about that. And uh, joining me, of course, is uh, my co-host. It's Bally. Hi, MBZ. Yes, it's quite quite some way we've come. Um, it's been an eventful journey. I like I like uh, what we've achieved here. It's been some good stuff, and uh, there is going to be some more good stuff coming up on today's show, which uh, we're going to lay out for you. So, Bally, how about you tell the lovely folks listening on their audio devices or computers or whatever they're listening on uh, what is coming up? So we're going to start off, as usual, with what we have been playing, and then we're going to go for some emails. And finally, we're going to talk a bit about the Game Boy, considering it's the 25th anniversary of the system this year. So give you some thoughts and feedback on what we we thought of the system, our experiences, and, and some things like that. Yeah, launch stories, all that good stuff, and, uh, well, I guess not really launch, because I believe the Game Boy came out I think we were born. (laughs) Right, considering the fact that we are, in fact, younger than the Game Boy by a couple of years or so, uh, that's not quite what it is, but of course our experiences when we first got the system and all that great stuff, because it's very central uh, to to our kind of gaming... um, know histories as it were so uh, a lot of good stuff there uh anyway i think we're just gonna kick things off by jumping into what we've been uh, playing recently in the past couple of weeks in bali i hear that you have cleared a prime suspect off of your backlog so why don't you tell us about that i i, I have indeed um i have completed metroid prime so... round applause for that yes. well done bali <laughs> i i think that is a uh, a sterling achievement that you have pulled off here. I'm certainly very pleased with myself for doing it, and um, I've never actually played, I don't think, or at least definitely not completed a first-person game ever. In history. In the history history. of forever. So I was pretty pleased with myself, yeah. Um, And overall, absolutely loved the game. Uh, The ending is superb. The, the, The final boss requires you to use every single trick you have in the book so all your items all your visors um, and obviously your scanning equipment and all that you're using all of it for this final boss and it's just a really epic ending and other than that the end the second half of the game in general is just super intense um some really clever puzzles i should also add and Did you really feel the difficulty kind of ramping up as you got closer and closer to the climax, or did it kind of have more of a, an even uh, graph to it? Was it was it kind of spiking, or was it going up gradually? How did you feel how that kind of went along the game? I think the second half of the game certainly has far more enemies, and they do gradually get heavier and more frequent as you get near the end of the game, I found. Um you can obviously the artifact quest you can do at any point in the game um i did it like most people i gained most of the artifacts at the very end of the game um so that's the only sort of exploration bit at the end of the game i would say but the first half of the game is far more exploration like i said the enemies aren't 
anything like as tough. There's a couple of tough bosses, but by the end of the game, it's just hordes of space pirates, and they're all the different types of space pirates that you have to use specific beams on, and they come at you hard, they come at you fast, they come up behind you, and it's seriously tough a lot of the fighting i died quite a bit at the end um but once you get used to just handling hordes of space pirates you're pretty set to kind of um get through most of the rooms i'd say near the end of the game and did you feel like that kind of those those battles with the space pirates was it forcing you to change beams a lot or change visors a lot because i know that's the thing you know in this game you talked about the scan visor last time and how you kind of appreciated that what are you thinking about the other visors and and that kind of stuff yeah no that's true you're 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 doing both. You're changing visors and beams to fight space pirates because some space pirates are invisible. Right. And you're using the heat visor just to even find where they are. Some space pirates only get hit by the... I'm forgetting the names of all the beams, but the fire one, the fire Flame beam. Flamethrower or something. Yeah, plasma beam? Phazon beam? Plasma? No, no, no? It's no? Plasma. It's yeah. plasma, and then the purple one is... It's a wave le- beam. Le- a wave beam, you're right. And then the first one is... Just a power beam, I power guess. Power beam, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're constantly swapping between these three beams and the ice beam. So you've got your four beams. There's four different types of space pirates. And they just... There's just hordes of them. And it's tough. But like I said, you do get used to it. You get used to just wading through them. Um, there's some nice little tricks and secrets at the at the end of the game. And just like I said, the boss design... Um, throughout the game, not just the end bosses, but uh, Ridley, the final boss, Metroid Prime. Uh, I've forgotten his name now. Thardis. Thardis, uh, yes, the, the a big, monster indeed. The big plant boss at the start was a great opening kind of boss to face off near the start of the game. That kind and of and that one's interesting because it does yeah. include a bit of puzzle elements to it as well. You're tilting the mirrors, is it, or something along those lines yes. to shine light. Yeah, so you're, I was a bit confused at first because I was like, I'm shining the mirrors, why isn't it doing it? And then I realized you have to shine all the mirrors. So you're constantly zooming around the area, flipping all the mirrors up, hitting him, and then he sort of withers away. You morph ball into into him, basically, through these pipes. And, yeah, blow him up from the inside. It's, it's really nice designs. And, and that's that leads me on to like talk about the morph ball sections, which, right. for me, are part of my favorite part of this game and that's that's including the magnetic tracks that you're using the spider ball to to reach new areas and things like that and it's just really cool because you're playing in first person the whole time and the morph ball is third person and it's a really nice mix-up to sort of switch between the two and that's obviously something you don't get as much in the 2d games and just the ability to to go around in 3d space on these tracks uh, magnetic tracks to just sort of explore reach secrets it, it, i found that that was definitely an area where this stands above the 2d games in my opinion well there aren't really that many puzzle centric morph ball segments in the 2d games right and i feel like metroid prime does a good job of um, handling a lot of the puzzle elements through the morph ball segments do you feel that was the case by doing those yeah i mean the main i'd say the main two types of puzzles in metroid prime are the morph ball segments uh, like i said so whether that's bombing certain areas or um fine or sort of using the boost to use half pipes and get up to high places using the boost ball sort of uh, power up that you get and then the other type of puzzle is basically here's a locked door there are four hidden um 
panels in this room that you can only see using the heat visor. Go and find them and dis destroy them, and then you can open the door. Those are sort of the two main puzzles, I would say, um, for the game. And those are, those are just sort of really nice, interesting things that are only really possible because it's a 3D game. And it feels like those are two areas that that Retro thought, right, well, we're going to... I know we've done a lot of the stuff that the 2D Metroids did. We got all the doors, the beams, the enemies are by and large very similar to the 2D games, but then they've sort of decided, right, we're going to have our own... We're going to put our own stamp on the Metroid series, and these are the 3D elements that we're going to invent and and work into the, the, into the game that work really well. Yeah, and... Again, on the idea of puzzles and kind of the boss battles I was saying before with the first one, how it's it's almost, you know, I think it's similar to Zelda in some ways in that you're kind of figuring out how to defeat the boss. Traditionally, like in the 2D games, as I've said before, Metroid bosses are a case of hammering missiles and beams and just as much shit as you can throw at the boss as possible until it dies. Do you feel that Metroid Prime doesn't concentrate as much on that and instead focuses a little bit more like Zelda on figuring out the boss's patterns and, and their weak spots and kind of exploiting those? Is is that something that you could compare? Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree that it's more similar to Zelda where the boss bosses are far more puzzly than it is a matter of just mashing them with lasers and things. Although having said that, once you do exploit to that area, it is all about getting your hits in, in that in that short time period a bit like zelda right um, but the emphasis really on bosses and all the enemies in this game to be fair is that is the emphasis on scanning so the scanning i mean i know this divided fans a little bit some people say oh you have to scan everything it's so boring but in my mind it was one of the best bits of this game because you just go up to an enemy or a boss you scan it and it gives you a, a breakdown. It gives you these awesome pictures in your visor of sort of this. I think I said this in the last episode. You did, yeah, but yeah. You're getting all these awesome pictures and it fully describes the weakness of that enemy or that boss. So it, it saves you having to go to a guide, which I often did in the 2D Metros because I thought, how on earth do you defeat this boss? But this this game, it's just, it really, it's not holding your hand necessarily, but it's kind of like letting you discover in your own way. And, and it doesn't just reveal it entirely. It's telling you sort of um, where the weak spot on its body is, but not necessarily always how to exploit it, for example. Um, for example, the timing with Ridley, I didn't find it terribly helpful at all. And I definitely had to look up online exactly when you're meant to hit him because on the second phase of Ridley, it's just seriously difficult to hit him at the right time. And obviously there's tons of tips and tricks on how to defeat some of these bosses um, sped up, which aren't necessarily glitches. I think they are actually designed that you can kind of uh, do, do some tricks to speed up the defeating of bosses. But um, overall, I think, uh, the, like I said, the scanning visor is where the emphasis in, is on in defeating enemies rather than just mashing away on them with your laser. Yeah, fair enough. Well, another element I was interested in was, of course, the artifact hunting at the end. A lot of people, I guess, compare to Wind Waker as the Triforce uh, hunt at the end of the game. You know, Both these GameCube games having these elements that 
some people not really appreciative of, but uh, to a degree can be um, very interesting because what it allows you to do is go back and explore the world now that it's fully opened up to you, have all your upgrades and everything. That's something in Wind Waker for me when I was playing, it was like, I, I did spend a good amount of time going around the world and discovering things, but the Triforce uh, hunt allows you to go to areas that maybe you've not spent a huge amount of time in and discover these new islands and stuff. How do you feel going back uh, for collecting those artifacts and, and kind of appreciating the world design in Metro Prime? I really did enjoy it, and I was actually a fan of the um, quest in Wind Waker to get all the Triforce pieces. Um, more so with the HD version than the original. I thought they, they made it quite a bit shorter and more streamlined for that version. But I'd say even the original Metroid Prime, it's it's not that long. It really doesn't take a whole lot of time, maybe an hour and a half at the most to get them all. Um, I would say that a guide is helpful in terms of not even discovering uh, what each art, where each artifact is, but just in order to to discover the artifacts in a in a sort of streamlined order, so you don't find yourself having to go all the way to one end of the world, all the way to another, and back again. Where you can actually do quite a lot on the way and just sort of do one loop of the world. Um, so I would recommend a guide to ensure that you just do one loop of the world, get all of them in one go, and then get on to the final bosses but overall i did enjoy that area um of the game because there's so many rooms that you go back to and you have no idea that they just for example this is obviously quite spoilery but um, magmore caverns um where one of the artifacts is you basically the whole room just sort of falls down and reveals an entirely entirely new puzzle section where is that using a power bomb to do that i think yeah no most of these um areas are discovered using power bombs and yeah so it it reveals an entire labyrinth basically of magnetic um tracks all over the walls and then at the end of all these tracks is um an artifact i think it's an artifact but anyway yeah it's really clever design and there's lots of places like that in the game where the room looks like one thing but then you do something special and then all of a sudden it's transformed and then you discover an artifact and stuff like that is really clever design that's yeah that's something that i do appreciate i think about the metroid games is going back and finding secrets later on and having that kind of satisfaction of being like i am really all powerful and able to do all this stuff now so but overall i am on the edge of saying that I, I prefer at the moment to the 2D version, just because it's a more, it felt like a more full experience. And I, I don't know whether that's just because it's 3D or whatever, but it, I really did enjoy it. Um, I'd also like to mention another game I've been playing this week. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Um, so I was playing a bit of Smash Brothers um, the past few days. And Which version you, might you tell I us, I should Charlie? say Smash Brothers Melee on the GameCube. So more yeah. GameCube loving. Um, and yeah, I've now completed all 51 event matches. And, and I am really mad. <laughs> I am really and mad. And it was so difficult. Oh my god, was it difficult. Like, See, so <sighs> me and Bally have been going back and forth a little bit in the past couple of months about Smash Brothers Melee and going back to it. And we've been playing some matches with each other, you know, going around to each other's house and being like, yeah, I really appreciate Melee a, a huge amount more going back to it now because mm-hmm. there are so many things, not only the competitive aspect 
to it and how it's such a refined and mechanically solid game but so many of those elements of smash brothers that we love nowadays that we didn't appreciate back then of all these franchises and these nods to uh, other games and all that stuff um it's such a cool thing to go back and have a look at and uh yeah and and realize how many event matches we hadn't done yeah, I mean, I, I was going through, this was my aim, because basically we want to unlock Final Destination, because neither of us have it. Or at least, no, I don't <laughs> anymore, you do. Um, so I was going through and kind of doing the, the hard uh, slog to try and complete all of them, and I got to Event Match 51, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try and do this Jigglypuff strategy where you use rest and smash people off the stage. How, coincidentally, is that what you used to defeat it in the end? I did. I tried a number of techniques I just made up myself, for example, like Pikachu's down B, I right. used a lot of Donkey Kong's down B, um, but yeah, basically I just did Jigglypuff in the end. Um, kind of just refined that rest move, which is quite hard to pull well, off, I think. basically it is hard to pull off, but it's incredibly easy to pull off against Giga Bowser. Because right, Giga Bowser is huge, yes. yeah. So you just have to la- get in the middle of him, he takes two, two rests per KO, so yeah. then you're left with roughly usually two lives versus two, three lives um, with Ganondorf and um, Mewtwo. So right. you are left to fight Mewtwo and Ganondorf with just your regular moves um, because I wasn't really using rest on them as much. So yeah. I basically... I mean, I did actually manage to catch them a couple of times while I was trying to rest Gigabowser. So they sort of got caught in the fire and you do, I think, need that luck just to keep going. Uh, yeah, so a lot of that is kind of getting the KOs that you wouldn't normally do with AI mucks up to give you the window of opportunity. Yeah, but I mean, once they're down to a few lives each and it's just Giga Bowser's dead, um, I was just using like rollout and moves like that because the AI is actually relatively predictable. Like it will just keep walking towards you and sometimes it will dodge your your rollouts. And I, a few times I would just roll out off the stage and be like, oh God, I can't believe I just didn't bring Jigglypuff back on the stage. But um Oh, there's few things I've done in gaming that were tougher than that, I must say. It was yeah, pretty definitely. pretty good fun, but yeah. All right, fantastic. So, uh, well, I'm in London right now, so I won't be able to have my GameCube and be able to go back and try that for about a month, which is unfortunate, but uh, I'll get there and, you know, then we can play some Final Destination matches and it'll be a lot of fun, I hope, uh, especially in the lead up to, uh, you know, the new Smash coming out. Cause, Smash uh, 4. Getting, getting very excited for that. Anyway, uh, we've talked about two GameCube games. How about we throw a third one in there, Bally? Why not? Uh, Because I have been playing uh, something I picked up relatively on the cheap uh, from a second-hand game store. Uh, Another GameCube game, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Um, Now, I believe Prince of Persia was a game series before this game debuted. I think it was like 2D. Yeah, there was 2D Ah. games back on the NES and uh, on some old game, maybe on PC. Um, and so I think it had been dormant for a long time before this game came out and then Ubisoft decided right we're going to take this we're going to reboot it and bring it into the 3D world as it were and um, and I have to say uh, that they were very successful in doing that because Prince of Persia I believe to be one of the most influential games of the GameCube era uh, and of that generation in general just because of what came after it um, and it's also a hell of a lot of fun it's it's a very very fun game. So if you don't know what it is, it's uh, essentially if you're going to boil it down to a genre, it's a third person action platformer. 
So the game kind of revolves around three main concepts of platforming, environmental platforming, um, uh, combat against enemies, and puzzle solving, light puzzle solving. And, you know, to some degree, I feel like uh, those elements are well balanced, but there is a part of me that struggles with some of the mechanics because they are so old, and this game is it has a lot of jank to it, you know? Um, Bally, watch, you watched me play some of the start of this game, mm-hmm. and you remember, like, when the cutscenes were happening, the audio was really hard to hear um, yeah. and the balance there is a bit weird I think that's just a condition of, of that era right just the technology um, I think so but I mean there are plenty of games that have cutscenes where the audio is fine so it's just maybe that tiny little bit of polish it needed on the cutscenes just to think alright we'll balance the audio levels and then put it all together and it just maybe is lacking a little bit in that way I don't know Right, and I mean, especially for me, as someone who edits a podcast and works a lot with audio and is... uh, I mean, I'm not very technical about it, but I am, to a degree, an audiophile. I like things to be well-balanced and stuff, and I, I do not appreciate podcasts that have a horrible variation between the different people on it and how it spikes sometimes and they don't deal with that. So it, it's, it's a particular issue I take, um, but something I definitely feel like, obviously this isn't a Nintendo-published game, it's an Ubisoft game, and so it doesn't quite have that polish. You know, you know the Nintendo polish that you come to expect uh, from those titles. A um, little bit of jank in there, and, you know, sy- symptomatic of the era to some degree, but... I guess uh, let's talk about the gameplay because there are a lot of elements to it that I think are uh, really very, very uh, innovative for the time and uh, super interesting. Uh, obviously, the main one, the game is called The Sands of Time, right? So it's based around the idea that you find this dagger, this, the dagger of time or the sand dagger i can't remember what it's called because to be honest i'm not really paying attention to the story it was kind of a background thing for me um but this dagger allows you to rewind time so say you accidentally mess up a platforming segment you jump off the side don't worry it's not going to game over as long as you have enough sand in your tank you can hold down the l button and rewind time and pull yourself back up to the place where you were uh, and you're able to go again you're like okay fine i messed up but it's okay, I have another chance, let's not do that this time. And to some degree, I think it's really clever because it stops those uh, issues from occurring. But in, uh, from another aspect, it's it's interesting because this game is based around checkpoints, right? So if you die, you go back to a checkpoint. And I think that the checkpointing in games since Prince of Persia came out has been a lot better uh, across the board, meaning that messing up a jump isn't as penalizing in modern games. It's just going to put you right back where you were and allow you to attempt it again. And so this is, to some degree, just sponging that. It's kind of stopping that from being a big issue. Uh, But it because of a lot of the time the mechanics being a little bit janky and you thinking you can make a jump but you can't actually because you can't properly see the environment around you so it gets a little bit tricky there um it's nice that it's they do it in quite a thematic way like maybe it's not overly thematic but the idea of a sand of time a sand timer um the idea that you're re- you're jumping off and rewinding time i th- i think it's it's quite unique in that way like how to they probably had that discovered that mechanic ages ago and then thought how how do we how do we fit this into the game oh we could make it like a sand timer because there's lots of sand in persia we could just do that and it kind of it's quite fitting 
Yeah, it does. I mean, it definitely works, and I think that is it's maybe one of the reasons they chose the franchise to yeah, bring it back yeah. with, because, you know, you have brand recognition there, uh, but you also have the ability to do something different with it, and it kind of ties in with the mechanic. And I feel like that's something, like, N- Nintendo do and they are very open about this that they concentrate first and foremost on a game mechanic and then they'll attach a character or an IP to it and yeah. build from there right so Mario Galaxy could have been any 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 character any brand new thing but they decided you know we're going to take these mechanics we're going to refine them and then we'll attach something then we'll attach the shell but we get the core right and I think that is one thing that they were definitely focusing on is, is trying to do that in Prince of Persia and it works well So I feel like in terms of Mario they might have even done that with something like Sunshine where they said right he's going to have a jetpack um, yeah. how do we make the jetpack okay why don't we make it water and then because it's water he can clean up the area or something yes so, yeah I agree with, and especially with Galaxy, it was like, right, we want these interesting platforming levels out in free space. Free space, why don't we just make it space and just do the Galaxy theme? So you're right, it's it's fitting a theme to a mechanic is quite a a nice uh, way for a game to work. Definitely. Um, And, you know, on that point, the platforming, I think, is generally pretty solid. There are times at which... I mean, a lot of it is jumping from poles and swinging and wall jumping, and it's really satisfying to pull off. I mean, sometimes you'll screw it up horribly, but you do have the fallback of the rewind mechanic, so it's always it's great to have that feature so that you can just you know you basically you instantly know what you've messed up, so you rewind and have another bash at it, and that saves the time of reloading the screen and getting back to the point you were at. So. It's it's really great, and I think that is where the game is strongest, when it is these long segments of either being underground or outside in the open or inside the palace, of just going from area to area and pulling off wall jumps combined with swinging on poles, combined with wall running. That's where things get fantastic, and you just have that sense of momentum and speed, and when you pull it off, it's like... And I think this is interesting, because I feel like uh, this game has... It casts a very wide net in terms of influence, and something like Mirror's Edge, where that game is all about momentum and speed and executing um, and doing wall runs and doing jumps and areas, I think there's a huge amount of that blueprint in this game because the wall running is such a fantastic element, and it just every time you see it, the animation is so great, it feels great to pull off, and is just awesome and again i think in terms of that influence net uh, something like uncharted very much takes from prince of persia where you have the environmental platforming and all these uh, kind of things like some set pieces where buildings are falling down like uncharted does an incredible job of that cinematic experience of like running off a burning building as it crashes before you and prince of persia does some of that of course the gamecube isn't really powerful enough to pull off it off to the same degree as um you know the ps3 does but uh, still does does a lot of that stuff where buildings are falling down and you're kind of trying to do timed uh, platforming segments. What would you say were your main gripes with it, though, in terms of... I know that you had a bit of an issue with the hordes of enemies at certain points in the game. Yeah, so I think getting onto combat, uh, it's a very different scenario um, because I, I like the combat at its core. I think it's pretty fun and very... Um, you know it, it, it's it's not too difficult to pull off the issue i have is really a combination of factors number 1 when you knock an enemy to the ground they are not dead you have to 
eliminate them with the sand dagger, which basically sucks sand into your tank, and it allows you... Basically, it, it feeds into the mechanic of rewinding time, because uh, as soon as you take an enemy down, you zap them into your dagger, and you're able to rewind time and give yourself an extra, um, extra way to get out of situations. Um, but what happens is there is an animation for you going over and sucking the sand out of an enemy. However... This animation does not allow you to be free from the enemies. So you could have a situation when you're trying to, you know, suck someone into your dagger and you get hit by another enemy. And that sucks because not only does it cut off the animation and means you don't get that enemy, because that enemy will come back to life and then maybe another one will come around and will hit you down to the ground again. And of course there is the idea if you fuck up once then you can use the sand mechanic to rewind but sometimes in combat especially that gets a bit glitchy where it will not necessarily put you back to a place where you're safe and it will sometimes jam and get stuck and you'll have to restart the combat scenario over anyway. Um, so that's a little bit of a problem there. Uh, the second one is just the sheer volume of enemies. The numbers they throw at you from this very start of the game are insane it's just like you you're usually taking on about four or five you know uh units at once but the problem is is that once they're gone four more or five more will spawn in and then you clear those out and four or five more will spawn and it seems like this almost endless battle you have to fight and you really need to concentrate because you do take a decent amount of damage from each individual hit and your life isn't necessarily that huge so you do get the issues where you're like, oh man, um, I should probably rewind time to get my health back, but then of course these enemies are going to come back to life, and then I need to go over to that area to the water, because basically how you heal health in this game is you sip water and um, it, it refills you. So it is this constant balance in battle, and I I have a lot of issues with it, and it did cause a lot of frustration, and especially at points where I was like, fuck this game, I want to throw out the damn window. But... Uh, I stuck with it, and I think that you do need to kind of get over that hump because the rest of the game is so great, and I appreciate it a huge amount just because of how fantastic the execution is. So, um, so yeah, it, it's really been a great experience. And I mean, to touch lightly on the puzzle stuff because I haven't really talked too much about that. A lot of it is very simple. It's kind of moving blocks onto platforms to open doors, and you know, uh, swinging on ropes to find areas and. Um, uh, kind of uh, mirror puzzles and I think a lot of that is kind of a bit of Zelda influence in there especially um, kind of rebounding light and that kind of stuff from you know Ocarina of Time did it with the, the mirror shield in, in dungeons and obviously Wind Waker followed that through with uh, one of its dungeons and um, and I think that it, it takes a lot of those concepts modernizes them and does a great kind of final job of putting the whole package together so uh so yeah, I really liked it. Um, Bali, what, do you think that this is something you could uh, potentially give a bash? Yeah, I, I, I mean, what really appealed to me about it, maybe this sounds a bit weird, but it sounds like, and you said earlier, it's quite a short game. So just sort of like... Yeah, I mean, it took me about eight hours to go through the story. So. Yeah, I mean, Metroid took me about 20 hours. So I mean, I sure. like a mixture of longer and shorter game experience. Obviously, nothing as long as Xenoblade for me personally. But um, <laughs> yeah, just have, playing like a nine-hour game, I mean, most games I play usually take about 12 to 18 i'd say so just a yeah. shorter game especially one on gamecube and it it was a really big game at the time everyone was saying wow and it's not first party obviously which is unusual for a nintendo console yeah um, so yeah I, I do want to try it out at some point soon 
Yeah, it, it was Ubisoft, of course. And, you know, the interesting thing about Ubisoft is they... I feel like at the start of generations, they tend to develop new franchises and they do tend to try and build on their previous ones. You can see it right now with Assassin's Creed segueing into Watch Dogs. Of course, they're still continuing Assassin's Creed, but the fact that they're kind of using Watch Dogs as the next-gen version and they're kind of going to build on those concepts a bit more, I feel like that was the thing with Prince of Persia. In that They did have Prince of Persia games on the 360 and PS3, but they took that blueprint and evolved it into the Assassin's Creed world and took, you know, the ideas of these, these platforming elements and, and that kind of stuff in the combat and um, changed it to more open-world structure. Uh, and you can really see that, yeah, because I'm, I'm actually also going through Assassin's Creed 2 right now on my PS3. I haven't really talked about it that much because I haven't honestly played a huge amount of it and I'm kind of going back and forth with it and I can't play at the moment because I'm in London, but um, you definitely get the feeling that there is uh, a lot of the uh, you know initial ideas from Prince of Persia there. So if nothing else, uh, and I really did enjoy Prince of Persia, if nothing else, you can really tell how how massively influential the game was and it's super his- uh, historically relevant and uh, I find that stuff really interesting. So... So there you go. Um, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Man, if they could get a GameCube virtual console together, this would be a great game to put on it. Tell you what. One day, Bali. One, one day there has to be. There's just too many great games on GameCube. It is still my favourite console out there. So It's continuing to prove that, of course. Exactly. You just played just... one of the greatest games of all time on yes. it. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, in any case, I think that that pretty much wraps us up quite succinctly. And... Uh, Hey, if you want to listen to us again, you can just, you know, pull a Prince of Persia, get out your sands of time, <laughs> re- rewind the podcast. Um, but if you're uh, sticking with us, uh, we're going to march ahead to the next segment. So don't go anywhere. We will be back with some of your emails. Okay then, welcome back everyone to the uh, second part of the show. Uh, In this, as per usual, we're going to be answering some of the emails that you have been sending our way. We've got some really good ones today, so thank you uh, for all those, and uh, hopefully... Uh, can give you some some good answers but as always you can keep emailing your questions into our address which Bali shall so eloquently relate to you at this moment our address is nyppquestions at gmail.com it's very easy to do just go to a computer and uh, and send us one uh, one our way so uh, we are going to kick things off uh, with the first email which Bali has at hand so our first email is from waverider900 MBZ and Bally the Legends. I just started, and much to my chagrin, caught up to NYPP in the past two weeks. So excuse me if these questions are completely unrelated as they were not all inspired by the same episode or time period. Number one. 
Bally, you said a while back that you're a video game purist in the sense that you like games just the way the developers made them and are not interested in customization. For instance, you spurn Advance Wars' make-your-own-map feature. What do you think about the idea of mods for games like Skyrim, e.g., although I know you haven't played it? I personally am a purist in the sense that I really dislike the whole idea of mods. Secondly, will you guys ever consider playing competitive Melee? I got into the competitive side last year right before EVO and it's become like 75% of my life ever since. I know there isn't a big scene in the UK, only one top 100 player by the name of Fuzziness, but with Dolphin net play and such, long distance is getting easier. Finally, I think MBZ he said he played Super Mario World when he was younger but never beat it and now intends to go back and play it again. I just did the exact same and I'd highly suggest it. It's far easier now than when I was eight years old. Anyway, I'm from DC and I hope you two continue this podcast for many decades to come. Thanks. P.S. Have you played Battalion Wars Bally? If ever there was made a perfect 3D adaptation of Advance Wars, I'd say uh, Battalion Wars Wii is it. Well, I should start by saying I haven't played Battalion Wars. Um, and yeah, one day I'd be interested in picking it up. It, it never caught my fancy at the time, obviously, because it's very different to Advance Wars. But um, well, in my opinion, from what I'd read at the time, but obviously you're suggesting it's quite similar. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably try it sometime. But anyway. Uh, yeah, so uh, I guess we'll just break it down uh, part by part, right? So uh, uh, let's uh, go ahead and uh, talk about the first thing. Um Bali, uh, of course, you being a purist in the sense of hating, uh, you know, modified like Smash Brothers stages. See, this is a thing back in the day. Stay Metroid. <laughs> back in the day, uh, our friend Ali T and myself uh, would often go on to the Smash Brothers uh, customization uh, area for for Brawl and, and make our own stages. And Bali would straight up refuse to play them because he said that they were terrible. And you know, they kind of were, but that wasn't the point. Like they were funny and they were dumb and you could do really stupid stuff with them and we made some hilarious stages but Bali never wanted to. So Bali, why is this? Why, <laughs> why do you hate them and um, what, what do you think about the idea of mods in general? And I, I guess like the, he did talk about Advance Wars and making your own maps but uh, quite recently I played some Advance Wars with you and uh, we were using a custom made map so you kind of seem to be down with that. So what are your feelings on that? I should say I wasn't the one who did, made the custom map. It was my, Right, my... you weren't the one making my it. friend Alex so yeah I, I'm personally not into making custom made, made maps on Advance Wars but I would say that there's a big difference between Smash Brothers customization and Advance Wars customization in the sense that you can recreate an exact stage that's in the actual game with Advance Wars in the map maker whereas in uh, in Super Smash Brothers obviously the stages are are specially designed with the backgrounds, the music, and even the stages themselves. So I, I would just, I would say that they're slightly different. And I'm still not massively in favor of customization, whether it's either of those games. I, I definitely lean more towards Advance Wars in terms of, obviously, I do enjoy playing a custom map every now and then, but I just can't be bothered to make them myself. Um, in terms of modding games in general... I've I've never really experienced it to be honest. I I would say I don't I don't know. Can you think of an instance that I might have wanted to mod a game MBZ or I, I can't really think of any. Um, I mean, not really. And that's the thing. It doesn't 
often happen on console. Yeah. Like it's really hard to do. It's very much a PC thing, right? Modding is something mm. that the PC community get behind, and you know things like Skyrim. There's, I mean, there's people who have like retextured the game so that it looks like Zelda and stuff like that. There's some crazy stuff people do with these games and mod them for different purposes. Um, I think the closest like Nintendo games come to is uh, there's some interesting um, stuff you can do with Wii uh, in terms of if you hack your Wii and make it able to run homebrew, mm. then there's... Uh, I remember Guillaume on uh, RFN talking about this a while back, but there are people who have made um, essentially a new version of New Super Mario Brothers. Um, you use the disc, you have uh, the the actual disc for new super mario brothers you put it in but you start running it through homebrew and these guys have basically made brand new levels and brand new everything uh just using those assets which is really cool um and you know it's not really i mean i guess it is illegal to to hack your wii but the fact if you own the disc and this is kind of free content that they're putting out there um that's really interesting and um you know there's a lot of people on the internet obviously who make roms and hacks of mario games to make them insanely hard and that kind of stuff um but i think that's as close as it gets really yeah i i would agree that i i think it's interesting but it's never something i would i would never try and open up one of my consoles for example like yeah. i i'm i know nothing about anything technological like that and that's half the reason that i am a nintendo gamer and not a pc gamer is i i do not have the mental capacity to buy a pc <laughs> that i would like or that would be good value or that whatever so i yeah i mean if i was going to get another console i'd almost be more likely to get either a playstation or an xbox than a, a pc just for the simple reason that you, you plug it into your tv and it works you put in your game <laughs> And it works, yeah. yeah. So I, I like the simplicity. I mean, in terms of my experience with modding, um, I guess Minecraft is the big one. Like, I think yeah. with Minecraft is is the game is basically perfect for modding that you can do so many different things with it and there's so many customization options and different skins and everything and um yeah i mean i generally play kind of vanilla minecraft but uh if it were any kind of mod thing that i would get into it'd be surrounding that and there's a really cool uh, uh pokemon based minecraft thing it's called pixelmon and that's something that i'm interested in checking out in the future so maybe i'll do some of that but um uh, anyway more uh, importantly more importantly smash uh, Right, competitive Smash Brothers, uh, particularly Melee, which is the, the big one for most people. Um, so, Bali and I have kind of, interestingly enough, slowly uh, started learning more and more. I should I should say that, and I mentioned this on an episode um, a while back, I can't remember which one, I reckon it was about episode 12 or something, but um, yeah. I've actually entered a Smash Brothers tournament. Right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I didn't go to this event planning on entering one, it was just it was just this, it was this anime event and I was doing, um, working on a website as part of my course in relation to board gaming, which is another one of my, my hobbies, but um, there was a Smash Bros tournament at this event and I just thought, I'm here, why not? Let's just do it. It was it was free. Yeah. And I entered the Smash Brothers Melee tournament and got my butt kicked first round. So um, <laughs> But yeah, you're right. We we've kind of gradually learned more about the competitive Smash community and really kind of getting into it a bit actually. Yeah, and especially, you know, with you uh recently completing all the event <laughs> matches. Uh yeah, you know. so I'll just drop that in there, yes. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Uh we're uh you know, we're we're getting up there, so uh, I don't know. It'll be a while before we master the arts of L cancelling and wave dashing, but you know, there's time. 
Uh, and the thing is, we're in the wrong part of the country. Like, we need you need to oh, always be in London um, to do it. Yeah, man, try and find a competitive Smash scene in Scotland. That's like, <laughs> that's dumb. Like, yeah, Jesus, yeah. holy crap. But I'd always be up for. I, I, I'm not prepared to put in the hours to get competitive, but I'd always be up for having a go. Yeah, and trying um, to learn a bit more is yeah, always interesting. Yeah, so. it's always fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess now we've got a couple of emails. About... Well, before we do that, he has uh, a final uh, note on Super Mario World and talking about that. Um, I never did play Super Mario World when I was younger. I'm not sure if that was him mishearing it or not, but um, I've never actually played that game at all. Uh, I guess the closest I came to it was like Mario 2 on GBA, which was using the Mario World art style. I think that must have been the confusion. Maybe, yeah. I mean, that was, yeah, probably what it was. Uh, you have uh, Mario World, uh, Super Mario World, on Virtual Console Bally. Yeah, I've um, played the first couple of worlds, and then I basically stopped, and it was quite frustrating. But um, yeah, Well, I it, mean, it's definitely easier to go back to now with save states and everything on Wii U. Yeah, so. I mean, I am going to go back to it at some point and play that game, because it's obviously well-renowned for being a, a fantastic game. Yeah, um, so. and I'll probably dip into it at some point as well. But uh, it's good to hear that you found it a lot easier and uh, a bit more encouraging uh, to go back to it. So that's that's good. Cool. Anyway, let's so, move yeah. on to the other questions now. We've then we've got Bali. a couple of emails about Hyrule Warriors. So the first one's from Zvari one two two eight, and they're from Kansas in the United States. Dear MBZ and Bali, I remember listening to your podcast back in December when Hyrule Warriors was revealed and you initially had mixed emotions about it. Since C3, we have been given new information about the game almost every week, most recently with the announcements Ruto, Darunia, 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 Darunia. Darunia and Sheik as playable characters. Has this new information changed your opinions about the game? I personally am very excited for this title and I'm looking forward to playing it later this year. Thanks and keep up the podcast, guys. It's great. And then another email about Hyrule Warriors from Dudbun. Why, howdy, MBZ and Bally. It is I again after a while, the great Dud of the Buns. And I'll cut straight to the chase with my question here. And that is, what are your opinions on Hyrule Warriors and how is it turning out? Personally, the game is really starting to, starting to grow on me after seeing quite a few things about it. Honestly, I'm kind of starting to get a bit hyped for it, which is kind of weird since at first I was pretty much against the idea of this game happening. But opinions change, I guess. Anyway, I'd like to know what you guys think of this game now that we've uh, known about it for a while and gotten a bit of news. Oh, and on the topic of Zelda, this question is for MBZ. When's the next part of your Twilight Princess LP coming out, if it's ever going to come out? I'm still waiting for you to guide me through what to do after the Hidden Village. Anyway, thanks for reading, guys. Until next time. First up, <laughs> the fact that you are actually playing through with my Twilight Princess LP means that you must have the patience of a fucking saint <laughs> to be trying to have not finished that game for over three years because you're playing along with me is insanity and I can commend you in every possible way. That is amazing. Uh, of course, you know, Twilight Princess is never going to... No, I, I almost said never going to finish because it probably it will at it's some point. It's not like... It's not... You do still have a hefty bit of the game to go. I have a decent amount to go, but... Yeah. You know, I, I uh, Twilight Princess is hard for me to record, and I do it when I can, and never, ever assume that it is cancelled, because it is never cancelled, and I will never say it is cancelled, because it isn't, I will go back to it, and I will finish it, so don't, don't worry about that, it's fine. 
Anyway, Hyrule Warriors, Bali. Uh, so we have a couple of different opinions. Um, Zvari was saying that it was something that he was already looking forward to, and now that he wants our changed opinions on it, if we have any changed ones. And Dudbun coming, I guess, more from what my perspective is, is that uh, having no interest and then kind of weirdly getting interested in it. How do you stand on this matter, Bali? I have really not changed a whole lot right from the off. I the second I was informed that this was not the Zelda like it wasn't a uh part of the Zelda canon, part of it wasn't a traditional Zelda where you visit dungeons and well okay, you do fight enemies, but you know you get, you know what I mean. It's not yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not a Zelda game. It's well is it off? Oh. Never mind. You know what I mean. Um, it so, is not a Zelda. It's not a Zelda game. That's fair enough to a, say. It's a it game a with Zelda, Zelda game. in it. It is not right. a Zelda game. There we go. <laughs> That's a good way of defining it. Um, so, yeah, I'm. I, I, I've never been well, into Dynasty Warriors. I, I'm not. I mean, this gives us a good opportunity to discuss the Nintendo Direct focused on it, which actually happened pretty recently. Mm-hmm. Um, did you actually go and watch the full thing, or was you just I catching was, the end of it? For because some I was... reason, I was up at the time that it was on, which was like the middle of the night. I can't remember why I was up this late. It was literally about four a.m. Yeah, it was four a.m. I yeah. was I, I I went to sleep because I was like, I'm not staying up till then. I'm going to watch it in the morning, and that's what I did. Well, I watched the end of it, and I it was just this horrible scene of them saying, "Oh yeah, and the moon from Majora's Mask is going to be in the game," and then it just showed. I think it was Link, he hookshots the sky, drags down the moon from Majora's Mask, and just slams it onto his enemies in front of him, and I just thought, this is just ridiculous. That's just <laughs> that's, that's why just it's so good! Di- that's, that's why, why it's so, so good, Mally! <laughs> that's why it's so great, that's why it's so amazing! Okay, so let me cut <sighs> to the chase here. Let me cut to the chase. And chain jumps in the no. game! No! Oh my god, that's, um, that's fucking insane. It's okay. terrible! <laughs> no, it's not. It's amazing. Okay, this is the, this is the, this is where we differ, Barry. I know. <laughs> okay, I agree with you yes. because you you are very honest about the fact that Dynasty Warriors is something you do not give a shit about. I am a purist. Damn yeah, it. I, I, look, I don't. I agree. I am not into Dynasty Warriors. I think that gameplay is so repetitive and lacking in any sort of challenge and just very mindless like the most mindless combat you could ever imagine however the flip side of the coin is that the fan service and the amount of attention to detail in terms of different elements of the zelda series that they are putting into this game is insane and ridiculous in the best possible way and i almost want to get this game purely for the fact that i am interested in those crazy weird things that are going to happen and the stages and all the different characters and their moves and just the special moves and these like fucking Migna, midna takes the fused shadow turns into the gooey giant thing that she is at the end of twilight princess and destroys loads of people on the screen great what does that do nothing but it looks fucking awesome i i agree elements like that look awesome but to to describe the whole game as fan service when like i said the moon from Majora's mask is just plucked out of the sky randomly and smashed down on some um enemies i think there will be some zelda fans including myself who think that it's just kind of abusing the ip to some degree i wouldn't say it's abusing can you see where I'm coming from? <sighs> I mean, and only, yeah. only when they make it a bit over-the-top silly. 
And well, I would... No, but the, the thing is, that's the point. Like, Ugh. I think you're missing the point. That is... That's the reason they're doing it. But... Like, because because the Zelda series is so constrained and so kind yeah. of based in, in its own universe and it, it has restrictions and it has limits, this is basically Zelda on crack and saying there are no rules, there are no hard limits, you can do whatever. We can take the boss from City in the Sky, put him in the Shadow Palace and have the entire Majora's Mask moon thrown down on his head. And that's that's crazy, and that's amazing and ridiculous, and I love seeing mashup scenarios. And that's part of why Smash Brothers is so fantastic, because it is these ridiculous situations of characters uh, being smashed together in ways that you would never see them otherwise. So but, I do think that it is kind of capitalizing on some of that Smash Brothers, um, you know, feelings uh, to some extent. So Yeah, and maybe I'm being hypocritical in saying that Bringing down the Majora's Moon, uh, Majora's Mask Moon, is necessarily abusing the IP when, say, in Smash Brothers, you can do other crazy stuff. Maybe yes. I am being hypocritical in that sense. I just, <sighs> I don't know. It's not. I think it's more that you have a negative attitude and outlook towards this game in general. I and... do, but I don't know. I mean, are you going to get it day one? Do you think? I don't know. I like it's a decent-ish price on Amazon right now. It's it's hovering around the thirty pound mark, which is not too bad. So I may just do it, and it, it kind of depends somewhat on reviews as well. Like if the reviews are skewing more towards the positive end, then I'm more likely to go with it. And obviously, it has to be from people who I trust and people whose opinions I respect and that stuff. So i'll see how it goes but it's you know there's no doubt i will eventually pick it up when the price goes down um if not straight away i mean i can be i can be swayed if this comes out and it gets some seriously glowing reviews or at least high 80s kind of 80 percent or so and and people are saying oh yeah this is an okay game but if you if you like zelda at all then you must get this i i would be tempted but I don't know. I'm just. I didn't. Don't feel as excited by some of the trailers as perhaps yourself and others have been so far. Um, and I hope there are others who are like me out there who think it's all just a bit over the top and are waiting for their their nice their nice steak when it comes to the Wii U Zelda rather than this fast food that's being shoved into everyone's <laughs> face right now. Oh, oh, the so, analogies. Oh, yeah, the analogies. so I'm going to wait for my steak at the moment is what I'm thinking. But um, Man, you know, McDonald's is real good. I'll tell you it what. It kills people! <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's killing the steak franchise. Anyway. No. Well, okay, I think it would have been good for you to watch the full direct because... I, w- I should watch the full direct. I will. Because it does explain some interesting elements about the game that I don't think a lot of light has been shone on, and the fact that the single-player mode is going to have like some really cool cutscenes and between the characters and stuff, and it's going to have a kind of a storyline as stupid and as crazy as that is. It's something that kind of reminds me of you know what they did with the subspace emissary, and those cutscenes were awesome. I love that stuff in in Brawl. the The actual mode was kind of terrible, but you know the fan service involved in those cutscenes was awesome, and they also kind of talked about like a, a very RPG mechanic where I'm not sure if this, this is probably in the other Dynasty Warriors games but you level up your characters as you go along and you kind of gain experience and all that stuff and that's a really nice feedback loop and that's you know part of the reason I really got into Titanfall is because uh, a lot of it is based on gaining experience and leveling up and unlocking new stuff as you go so I think that that could be something that really helps to hook people into it and 
probably what would hook me into it to be honest so um i would definitely say you should go watch that and, and cool. kind of get a bit more of a better idea of what they're kind of doing with that game mm-hmm. so right so, yeah ne- well that was one of the most heated uh, things we've had <laughs> on the podcast <sighs> breathe out here we go all right here's an go. email from bruno garcia Hello, MBZ and Bally. I really enjoyed the jukebox segment. As a listener of Radio Trivia, it's nice to have essentially two podcasts in one. I look forward to more of that. Now That's for the common, now so. for the question: Who is your favorite? Ca- who is your favorite character in video games in terms of character development, and your favorite character in terms of just personality? Personally, my favorite character in any video game is Ike from Fire Emblem: Path of Radiance. He goes from an inexperienced young lad to the commander of the Grail? Grail, I guess. I yes, don't know. I've, I've not played these the games. Commander of the Grail, mercenaries, and hero of Tellius. In terms of just personality, my favourite is Leon from Resident Evil 4. The dialogue in that game is so ridiculous. It's enjoyable, and Leon is Leon's pretty funny sometimes. Keep in mind, RE4 is a horror game. Keep up the good work, and thanks for the great podcast. P.S. I had never played a horror game, or a shooter for that matter, before playing RE4. Not being a fan of either genres, but now it's one of my favourite games of all time. It's really not scary at all, maybe just in one or two instances, and it's actually more funny than it is scary. I really recommend you play this masterpiece of a game. You won't regret it. Nope. Still no, not no, convincing. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I can't. Uh, all right. Uh, Bali, um, I mean... This question is not super relevant for you because I don't think you've played too many games that have yeah. a strong focus on character, so, right? So, I mean, I'm I'm 23. I would, I'd be lying if I said I felt emotionally connected with Mario and, Yo- <laughs> and, and Yoshi. Or, hey man, Yoshi! He's, he's just a poor, lonely or, dinosaur. Or, or even, you know? even Link. Uh, I mean... I feel like Nintendo characters don't have much deep character. Or maybe maybe that's unfair on I don't know. It's not maybe. unfair, it's true. Or maybe someone like Samus has a little more. But I don't know. I, yeah, it depends. I guess. It depends on the game. Um but I'll be honest, I've I've like the question suggests is asking, I don't have any characters in mind that I, like are my favourites or I mean I like I like I think Samus is cool, but I don't I don't relate to her emotionally kind of with her character development that's not why i play metroid games it's kind of yeah it's for everything else and the same with mario like i said i'm not emotionally emotionally connected with him i just want to jump on some platforms okay so that's that's kind of the aim with those games but obviously you've played some perhaps more mature games or certainly more non-nintendo games than me mbz sure well i mean I have, I, I guess, uh, some some uh, interesting ones, although they're kind of obvious. Uh, I would say in terms of personality, just someone like straight up Nathan Drake from Uncharted, you know? Um, I think that he's very carefree and uh, fun, and he just has some great lines and some, there's some great dialogue in that game. And, you know, it's very narrative-driven. I think that's the thing with you, is you don't really play any narratively-driven games, so it's hard to... Yeah 
get that kind of connection at all. Um, whereas throughout the Uncharted series, you know, you you have a lot of cutscenes and very cinematic moments and and that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, there's there's some really great characters in that game. Sully yeah. as well. Sully's fantastic. I love his kind of wisecracking old man stuff. And um, and those guys are great. And it's very lighthearted and it's really fun. And it's just like a, an action romp adventure. You know, it's very Indiana Jones in that way. So I'd say in terms of personality, like you know uncharted is a good pick um if we're going from character development i think i have a, a very solid one which a lot of people would probably pick and that is uh, clementine from the walking dead and she's really really fascinating as a character because you know she starts out with this is this young naive girl in this zombie apocalypse and you know you, you take care of her with lee and you kind of build her up and you're teaching her things about this this harsh world and she's kind of learning as she goes and kind of the, the entire first season of the walking dead is is you kind of taking her under your wing and developing her and helping her and teaching her about how to survive and essentially when you get to the second season and you're playing as Clementine you're starting to put all those skills into practice you're becoming more independent you you know you're uh, much more of a leader in that aspect instead of you know being kind of uh, someone who's uh, following in the group and um, yeah I really like what they've done and I think that she is a super fan- fascinating character uh, in, in terms of female characters like one of the best in the history of games like no doubt about that and she's like a 14 year old girl which is incredible um and yeah i'd, I'd say that's uh, definitely a really good pick so um so yeah cool. uh, some good characters there i think we for got sure. time for one more email oh we can maybe squeeze it in we'll squeeze one in right here we go this one's from farak Hey, what's up? I've been a fan of your podcast from the very beginning, and I just wanted you guys to know that I love all of them, especially the last one where you talked about Metroid Prime, which is one of my favourite games of all time, and Xenoblade, a game I was actually playing at the same time as MBZ and finished right before the podcast. Congratulations! (laughs) Yeah, this is great timing. Um, So I've got two questions. Number one. So, Bally, you've played both Prime and Fusion recently. I'm pretty sure you've noticed that both games handle storytelling and area exploration quite differently. In Fusion, you constantly know what's going on and where you need to go, although it's le- it lets you explore to a certain degree. While in Prime, once you land on Talon 4, you're left with no aims or goals, and the only thing you can do is wander aimlessly and explore the land. The question is, which one of those systems do you guys prefer and which one do you think is better for the series? I think we should uh, just go ahead and do this one first. Yeah, sure, let's go Jump for to it. the second one. Well, um, I think we're going to differ on this one, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. I certainly prefer the sort of Metroid Prime slash Super Metroid model where you land on the planet and there's a genuine feeling of just solitude loneliness and you're just exploring th- this planet both in talon 4 and zebes 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 who knows who who knows <laughs> who yeah exactly um so <laughs> greg Leahy he pronounces it um he pronounces it zebes yeah um no i prefer that sort of planet exploration thing I, that was Probably the thing that annoyed me the most about Fusion was that it was on a space station, and there's some when you're playing a space game, what, anything that's sci-fi that I like, the best thing I like about sci-fi, or something like Star Wars, are the planets and right. these these outer these different systems. And I feel like Prime 
and Super Metroid allow you to explore a genuine alien planet because that's the best bit in my mind about the Metroid series is aliens and alien planets and mm. and exploration. I think that is a a key part of Metroid that it's a key tenant of the series. Yeah, yeah which sure. was. Not brushed to the side for Fusion. I mean, Fusion is trying its own thing. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Fusion. And it, it does its own thing really successfully. But um, of the two styles, I definitely prefer the more prime Super Metroid exploration-based style. Yeah, well, I mean, Fusion kind of backloads its exploration to some extent. Um, especially the way I run through the game is I... I mean, I play it all the time because it's one of my favorite games ever. Uh, and there is a lot of kind of at the end part of the game. If you want to get all the upgrades, you have to cycle through the areas and find all the secret places in order to get them. And there's some really fantastic puzzle rooms in there and, and pulling off multiple shine sparks and chine- chaining and these crazy maneuvers, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, but in terms of, you know, the uh, element of Fusion being more linear and Prime and, you know, Super Metro being more open... I do really like the fusion model for the reason that it just propels you forward. Like, there is no stopping that train. It is just constantly area to area to go, go, go. You're doing things. You know where you're going. You know what's laid out for you. I think fusion's a good place to start because it doesn't mean you're getting lost and and, uh, having to struggle and, uh, you know, learn mechanics as well as trying to find your way around the place. And uh, I think it's great for newcomers, which is why I thought it was a good suggestion for you to play as your first Metroid Mm. game, Bally, and kind of introduce you to the series. Um... But I generally, I do like that model a little bit more, and that kind of is reflected in the fact that a game I played last year called Guacamelee, which was one of my favorite games of last year, does kind of adapt to the fusion model a bit more, where it is much more linear and uh, funneling you towards a direction. Um, and I just love that stuff. I just find that if you really concentrate down on the core tenets of the mechanics and focus a little less on the exploration... I find a bit more satisfying because it means I'm not aimlessly wandering and, you know, wasting time to some degree. Um, so that's why I kind of fall down a little bit more on the fusion side. But I, I totally respect the uh, exploration-based stuff and uh, I'm totally down with it. So, so yeah. Well, I guess we can get on to the, the second que- part of the email, second question. So apparently in Xenoblade Chronicles X, the main character is a customizable avatar. At first I thought it would be like Robin from Fire Emblem Awakening, where the avatar is also a talking character with a defined role in the story. However, some people have pointed out that in this game's case, the avatar does not speak in cutscenes, at least so far. So MBZ, considering how heavily plot-focused the first Xenoblade was, what do you think of this feature? Thank you guys for your attention. By the way, I'm an English college student from Spain, and I love your accent. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, adds another uh, you know, region to our NYPP map of people. We're going to conquer the world one day. It's oh, hell NYPP, yeah. The NYPP empire. Let's keep it It going. is indeed. Um, so, yeah, a very, very good question. Um, and probably the thing I'm the most skeptical about uh, concerning the Xenoblade sequel. Uh, he's right in the fact that Xenoblade is a very plot-focused game. The, the narrative is very strong there. And, of course, the main character, Shulk, uh, is central to that and is a, a key participating character. So, when it comes to the idea of having a non-speaking main character, it does scare me a little bit because I did, you know connect a lot to those characters in Xenoblade and I really enjoyed them and I thought they were great and the plot is one of my favorite aspects of it it's one of those things that really propelled me forward to actually finish it in the end so 
I, I am a little bit afraid there because I think it may have some implications for what will happen late, later on uh, within the story. And, you know, when they were showing it off, it was kind of like, you know, you're making your guy and he kind of steps out and he's almost kind of blank faced and not really responding that much. And that does worry me. So I am a little bit wary and I'm hoping that they find some way of kind of getting around that if they are doing it. I mean, there are a lot of games which have a non speaking main character you know skyrim is like that and uh, i think zelda uh, Zelda, uh, the the original bioshock is like that Uh, you know those games great plots great storylines um but i feel like this is a series where some of its core tenants lie in the main characters and their role in the overall arching narrative and so yeah it's it's something that i'm afraid of um to be certain and you know it would be really cool if it was like Fire Emblem Awakening because for sure you do get to create your own character but they are their own character in the story they have a role to play they have a backstory uh, and they actually are, are pretty central to the plot so um, so yeah I I, uh, I feel I feel your concern there and uh, I echo the sentiment um, so yeah there you go I guess let's hope something uh, something happens on that front all right. Uh, any anything else here, Bali, or are we going to zoom right into our last segment? I think we're just going to wrap up the emails for this week. I'm afraid. Uh, well, would you tell the kind people where they can send them if uh, they want to be read on the show? They can send their very kind emails and nasty ones if that's what you choose um, to <laughs> nyppquestions at gmail dot com. And remember to tell us where you're from. It's really exciting, and I'm sure the other listeners will be interested to find out where everyone's from. Um, so yeah, keep them coming. Excellent. Uh, well, do not go anywhere because we will be right back after this uh, short break and uh, we'll be talking about the Game Boy's 25th anniversary. So uh, don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back in a sec. It wasn't humanly possible, but now you can have all the power and excitement of Nintendo right in the palm of your hand. Introducing Game Boy. It's portable, it's in stereo, and its games are interchangeable. Plus, Game Boy comes with the outrageous new game, Tetris. And for head-to-head competition, use the revolutionary video link and blow your opponent away. Game Boy, only from Nintendo. Now you're playing with power, portable power. All right, we have returned for our third and final segment. And, of course, as Bally mentioned at the top of the show, we are going to be talking about the uh, the little handheld, or maybe the a bit larger than little handheld that could, uh, the Game Boy, because it is the 25th anniversary of the North American release of the Game Boy, um, the original fat chunky one, and uh, a lot of people are talking about it. I mean, this is the thing. Uh, a lot of the uh, you know journalists and uh, games press is based in the U.S., so a lot of people are going to be talking about it. Even though um, the Game Boy didn't actually come out in Europe until uh, September of the year after 1990, so uh, not quite uh, that old in this uh, region, but uh, still uh, might as well talk about it because it's a bit of a hot topic and it's it's cool to look back and reflect. So uh, so yeah, Bali. Um, you had a Game Boy, and I did. Uh, and uh, I, th- I guess we're just going to kick this segment off, uh, talking about like our first experiences, how we got our Game Boys, all that good stuff. Because uh, you might know, as we kind of talked about, we are actually younger than the Game Boy, so there's no way we could have had one at launch in any universe. So, uh, so yeah. 
So I think I must have. So I was born ninety one. We both were ninety one. Yes. Yeah. So I must have been about. How old was I then? I must have been like eight or nine. Right. Which would mean I got it in probably nineteen ninety nine, ish. I would say I got it in ninety eight or ninety nine. So I guess I was seven or eight. Sure. And. I didn't even know what one was. I actually was given one by my cousin who uh, lives in Canada. She was like, happy birthday, Alistair, and sent over this thing. And yeah, I got this big box. It just said Game Boy on it. And I didn't even know what it was. My mum was like, oh my God, what have you done (laughs) done to him? He's going to just play that like all the time. And she was so skeptical, like the very second it it, it arrived in our house. Yeah. And it came with, I don't know whether it was a a tie-in game or whether my cousin bought it extra, but I got... um, a game and watch collection with it so right. it was five game and watch games in one on on the cart and you played all these games on your game boy and i played it and i i was i would say i wasn't overly like oh my god this is the most amazing thing ever um but that was initially the first game i got and then a little while later i bought a driving game of which the name I can't remember. Or Probably it, something random, yeah, some third-party thing. And likewise, it didn't wow me. It was great fun, but it wasn't like... I don't know, it wasn't... It wasn't a revelation. It wasn't a revelation at that point. Um, and, and I mean, this was, I guess, probably for both of us, the first kind of console of any description that we owned. I mean, do you remember playing any games at all before the Game Boy, or was this really the first introduction? Like, had you played stuff on PC when you were younger? Or... I think I think this birthday present of the Game Boy sent over from Canada was definitely before I even picked up any like PC games because I used to do have a few PC games around the same time, but I'd say that was slightly after. Okay, um, so. Yeah, those were my first two games, like I said, the racing game and the Game & Watch collection. And then later was Pokemon. Right. Um, which came I mean, out in Europe in 98? I think it, 99 was Europe. 99. Uh, so, so, yeah, I bought Pokemon Blue and I played a lot of it. This was the first, like, big game that I played a lot of. And right. I'll admit, I've never even completed Pokemon Red and Blue. I've, I've Have you not? I really haven't, Holy honestly. crap, I had no idea. Yeah. I thought you did finish it. I don't know why, but um, yeah, I just never completed it. I remember you and Ali T then later got Game Boy Colors. Right. And I feel like that ca- they, the Game Boy Color came out at a very similar time to Pokemon Right, well, I mean, a lot of people talk about the Game Boy in two eras. It was the... BP and AP, which stands for before Pokemon and after Pokemon. <laughs> and uh, 
I think, yeah, definitely, there was this transition between those um, those games coming out where there were a lot more simple, very kind of basic Game Boy games happening, and then Pokemon came out and things started to get much more technical and advanced and um, much more complicated game concepts were being played on the Game Boy and, uh, and things really kicked off there. And yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Pokemon came out in October of 99 in Europe. Um, I believe it was a whole year after the American release. Thank God it's not that bad these days. I mean, sometimes it is, you know, the Xenoblade situation and everything. And I mean, Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright is about six months away, uh, you know, from the European launch for the Americans. But uh, thankfully, it's not as bad as it used to be because, man, it took a long time. But I mean, it wasn't generally that bad for the Game Boy era because, you know, we could potentially import if we wanted thanks to it being region free right um yeah exactly and i mean i didn't really take advantage of that at the time at all well i'm I trying mean, though, go- the way I'm, you would do it really exactly no it, my 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 game boy was canadian but i just didn't realize it at the time i never even had the concept of region locking in my head <laughs> yeah. so it had been sent over and was canadian definitely so um yeah, I guess that would have been a real kick in the balls had she sent it over, and none and not of the games with anything, I bought yeah. would work. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So, so you had that Game Boy for the longest time, um, and did you upgrade to a color at some point? I did upgrade, um, and when I upgraded, I feel like I bought red and yellow Pokemon, red and yellow, as well as um, Mario Tennis and. A Spider-Man game, I remember. Uh, but Mario Tennis was probably the main Game Boy Color game I, I played. Um, and I feel like I got that at the same time as you. And I, I think that was quite a good game, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it's a very good game. Very good game. Um, I feel like you got your Game Boy Color around the same time as I did. Right, well, my history with Game Boy is uh, somewhat different, because I never owned the original Chunky Monkey. I wasn't uh, in on the ground floor. The first Game Boy I had was a color, and we'll get to that story uh, in a bit, but I mean, first of all, my first real real experience with the Game Boy was uh, my cousins, because they had one, they had an old one, and uh, one of the first games I played on the system was Mario Land 2. Uh, Still to this day, one of the most nostalgic games for me, and one of my favorite games of all time um of course last week we or last show we played uh, some music from that on uh, the jukebox segment um which is just one of those tunes that you know will probably never leave my head um and uh, and a fantastic game i loved playing it but you know i never had a system i never could play uh i did you know at one point from a friend who uh you know when we were much younger at school i borrowed a game boy and it had tetris on it and so i played tetris and that was my first experience experience with that game i'd never heard of it before i didn't know what it was but i tried it and it was kind of cool i was probably terrible at it i can't really playing remember playing it that much but um that was uh, another way i kind of got introduced and then i do believe that i you lent me your game boy at some point uh with I a pokemon I? game yeah i remember i didn't have one and i came around and you you uh, let me borrow it for a while with a pokemon game i took it away and i played for uh, a bit with it and uh you know and it wasn't probably until 99 for me when you know pokemon was hitting big and the trading i mean really the first uh, thing that i got into regarding pokemon was the trading card game and a lot of people did at school and you know the anime was happening it was a huge deal at the time um i didn't actually get the game until a little bit later um but uh when i did get it it was as a result of my mum buying a birthday present for my sister and it's really weird because the first 
video game console in our house was not bought for me. It was <laughs> bought for my sister. So a purple Game Boy was something that she got for her, maybe her sixth birthday or something. Maybe even she was five years old. She was very young. And my mum bought it. And um, and honest, quite honestly, she never used it. Like, I, I, I mean, there were some games on it that she may have... Uh, tinkered with here and there but you know it was very clear from a young age that she wasn't the, the type of person to get into video games and uh, didn't really care for them uh, but I most certainly was and Jesus Christ I, I got into them uh, a hell of a lot and uh, and I mean I do remember a very distinctive memory of the day after her birthday party I woke up super early uh, just because I was young and I just woke up early all the time but more specifically because I was so excited to play Pokemon Blue because I hadn't had a chance to play it yet. I didn't get a chance the day before because my mum had bought a, a game called Quest for Camelot. It was based on some movie. Uh, it was a licensed tie-in game. It, it actually ended up being quite interesting and thinking back on it now, it was very Zelda-inspired. It was like a top-down Link's Awakening-style game. Um, it was kind of cool and I kind of think about sometimes going back to it and uh, and seeing if I could go through and actually play it properly because I couldn't at the time. I had no idea what I was doing. But uh, so that was uh, something that she was playing a little bit the day before. But I woke up the next morning, uh, went into my grandparents' bathroom, sat on the floor, and just <laughs> just played Pokemon Blue from the beginning. And uh, for at least two hours, just before anyone else woke up, it, I got up like six a.m. and just sat there. And uh, and really, that was it. I was I was hooked into the system from that point, and it became really for me the Pokemon machine because aside from a couple random licensed games uh, that was the, the the blood of that machine and that was what I used it for um, and I feel like a similar thing applies to you to some degree yeah exactly I mean I wasn't actually as into Pokemon as you and Ali T were at the time and I feel like I got into the series far more so with Pokemon Gold and Silver yeah um, definitely which were yeah. also Game Boy games um, but I would. I, I clearly remember, and my mum does never shut up with this story. Whenever she talks about me as a gamer when I was younger, she always talks about you and me. And he said when <laughs> we were going to the David Lloyd Fitness Club uh-huh. when we were much younger. This was right in the middle of the time that you're talking about. Basically, we both owned Game Boy Colors. We were both playing a lot of Pokemon on them. We'd come around to each other's houses. This was this was by the time Gold and Silver was out, I should say. Um, and we would be doing constant mystery gifts with each other via yes. the Game Boy Color Infrared. I mean, it was every single time we met up. We would do every, every single time. combination possible. Yeah. My gold version with your gold version. My gold version with your silver. My gold with your crystal. My own crystal with yeah, my own crystal. So we, you know, we both owned all three. But my mum never shuts up about how we... My mum doesn't drive... So we were getting a taxi to the David Lloyd Club and we were both in the in the taxi with a link cable attached. <laughs> and then once we were we were we were the, the taxi journey was over, we walked about forty meters attached by <laughs> by the link cable <laughs> into like the main lobby at david lord just attached just didn't you have a care in the world that anyone would stare at us like attached via cable at this point in time and yeah it was and then my mom just goes hurry up and save come on you we need to get we need to go in for a swim or whatever and we're like okay, uh, okay. the and old we'd... the old mum trick of thinking that you can save any time exactly. doesn't work like that exactly. doesn't work like that <laughs> exactly. uh. So, so we eventually saved, 
and we put the link cable away for another time, and we went on for our swim. I mean, that was the thing with Game Boy all the time. It's like, Mum, you don't understand. You can't save in a battle. (laughs) God, come on. You should know this shit by now. And and that's pretty funny. And I think that's an interesting thing, you know, um, when the generation after us comes up is like, you know, we we have grown up with this stuff. We know when you can save. You can't bullshit us. We we have the experience. (laughs) So, uh, so that's that's a funny thing I think for the future but um, and just the idea of being linked up by a link cable um, it was pretty revolutionary just, right it was revolutionary at the time and now it would be mad for two people to be playing a multiplayer game via link cable at yeah physically time. attached yeah, essentially, it's, yeah. It's, Hilarious, but anyway. Yeah. And I mean, talking about the link cable, it kind of leads nicely into a discussion of the accessories that uh, came around with Game Boy. Because oh, I feel like there were quite a lot of them, um, and a lot of them were kind of there to prop up some of the misgivings of the hardware. Yes. Uh, the major one being the lack of any sort of backlight or front light. Uh, meaning that if you wanted to play the Game Boy and you didn't have a light source, it was it was a tough situation, you know? And many times when I was on journeys, you know, driving in the car from London to Edinburgh, as so often we do, and we did when I was younger, uh, having no ability to do so because it was so dark. And, um, and I that dis- sucked. I distinctly remember my grandparents used to live in Kinghorn, which is about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour's drive from my house in Edinburgh. And I distinctly re- And every time we came back from my grandparents, even, well, I guess not midsummer, but sort of autumn time, it would get dark incredibly early in Scotland. So I actually owned, I think my mum bought me a... It's a magnifying glass and a light all in one. And it was green, the same shade as my Game Boy Color. And it, right. lo- and it, it slotted onto the Game Boy and folded down. So it was like quite sleek. Well, as sleek as it was back then. <laughs> right, right. Um, not nothing compared to like a DS these days. But um, sure. it was quite sleek for the time. And then when you wanted to play, you'd flip it up. It'd be magnified. And you could turn on a light that would shine on the screen, but not directly on the screen, so you didn't have the reflection of the light bulb. Right. And I remember getting right through Mario Tennis on the Game Boy Color, and I was like in the final match against Mario. It's like a full five-set match. And I just remember plugging in, like, because it had the headphone jack, the Game Boy Color. Yeah. And I had, like, a headset, and I, I plugged in my headphones, and just sat there in pitch black in the back of the car with this light turned on, just with the volume turned on full with the amazing Mario tennis music. And I just took on Mario just on the, on the journey back. And it's just the idea of being able to do that at that point in time. I'd never done anything like that before. And yeah, it's a really good game and just a, an accessory that was clunky as hell in some ways, but in the end actually worked. It did the job, right? And that's did all you job. needed it. That's all you needed it for. And I mean, I had a similar thing. I, I'm not sure whether I ever got the thing that combined the two, but I did get, have a magnifying implement as well as a light. Uh, my light was a yeah. lot less effective because a lot of the time it would cover up the screen. It was like yeah. it, it plugged it plugged into the area where the link cable would go and um, kind of was a bendy it was like a snake it was like in the shape of a snake and it would bend over the top I had one like that as well right yeah yeah. and so you'd bend over the top and it would shine the light on the screen I mean it was really clunky and uh, a bad way of implementing it 
But you're right, I remember yours actually had like a little plastic snake head on it. It was like golden or silver. No, it was golden. And like the funny thing about these, um, or my light, I had a green light as well, a a, a spindly one as well as my uh, big magnifying one. I had like, I could swap between the two depending on whether I wanted it magnified or not, which was nice. But um, the funny thing about the the windy light that attached in through the... um, link cable slot is that because it went to the link cable slot it, ha- it added on its own link cable slot so you could be lit up and have a link cable in at the same time yeah. <laughs> it's just like this clunky design that, that allowed you to do multiple things at once it was, i thought it was so smart at the time and looking back it's just hilarious yeah i mean it was it was uh it was a fun time uh <laughs> lots of things there that they really had to do because just the uh, initial design of the game boy didn't allow for uh, that kind of thing and you know it being a portable device you kind of wanted it all places at all times and it uh it didn't really allow for that unfortunately but um hey people people were there to provide all these third party knockoff yeah. things that we used to uh kind of uh buffer it so um but so other, yeah other than pokemon what would you say were some of your your favorite games and sort of what games did you get throughout the life cycle of the of the Game Boy? Well, I mean, as I said, it was very Pokemon centric, and I mean, picking up on that thread, it's not necessarily a main series one, but Pokemon Pinball is one of the best Game Boy games out there, bar none. Not only because it actually. Uh, you know, implemented a really cool way of uh, playing this, you know, usual massive arcade thing on the go. But also it included a very, very interesting feature that made the cartridge giant. And that was, of course, the rumble pack, um, which I thought was fantastic because it gave you this force feedback into the uh, handheld, uh, you know, that you usually you would get on controllers, but never before on a handheld. And uh, I really appreciated that. Um, I remember... I remember playing because um, when, when I got Pokemon Pinball, I had the Game Boy Color, so I'd, I'd play it on the Game Boy Color. And it, when it buzzed, it vibrated. It was quite a hefty vibration. And then I remember plugging it into my original classic as well, just to give it a go. Um, and yeah, with the rumble on the classic, because the classic was so large, it barely rumbled at all. And I thought, well, yeah, this is so <laughs> I can why, imagine why, that. Why would, why would it work for that? Yeah. Um, uh, the other Pokemon game that I got and enjoyed a lot at the time was the trading card game, The right. Game. Yeah. Um, and really well designed game. This is definitely a game I'm, I'm keen on picking up on the virtual console, as I know it's just come out. Yeah. Um, and just really great design, really great um, ability to deck build. You could have multi, I think you could have five decks on the go at one time, and you'd have a card collection where you could easily look through all the cards and check out what what Pokemon have, what moves, etc. And to be able to do that on a Game Boy handheld regard, without having any Pokemon cards, just all on this game, I found incredible. And like the ability to just battle. like that's, That was the most tricky thing about the trading card game is, I mean, we only got into the actual battle mechanics a bit later. Yeah, definitely. But like, we're just collecting to begin exactly, with. Exactly, we were just collecting and it was like so... Even even collecting at the time was just so much fun, but um, yeah, it's the way that it sort of coincided with the the Game Boy um, massively. But yeah, it's a, it's a really good game. Uh, and the cool thing about that game, talking about saving whenever you wanted, uh, or your mum thinking, yeah, you, could, uh, you literally could in that game. You could switch exactly. it off, and it would no matter what, it would boot right back up. Uh, 
revolutionary at the time i remember talking with you about it it's like it's like oh my god you can turn off and just saves <laughs> yeah like, what <laughs> craziness mom's just like tea time like, okay switch yep. off and, and she's like whoa you came so quick i'm so <laughs> used to that what happened like, oh i got this new game mom it's really it switches off at the right time yeah yeah um well i mean and other games that i played was stuff like very much licensed stuff, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the cartoon show, the game, which surprisingly was actually kind of robust. What a classic. It, you know, <laughs> you, you say that, and uh, there is a, a thick, thick layer of sarcasm, but uh, beneath that, I, th- I think it actually was a pretty fun game. I actually finished it, uh, which is, you know, something I can't really say about a lot of games in that era. I can't believe you fit. Yeah, I mean, I never finished any games at that point in time, even Pokemon, yeah. which is embarrassing. But And um... the thing about that, is it was run on a password system so you would have to oh, remember the God. password and the password were based on faces of the characters so it's like Sabrina her cat her boyfriend or whatever and her mom or, or her aunt oh, or whatever God. so it was like you have to remember which combination of faces it was it was a bit of a mess but uh, some of some of the more um, interesting Game Boy games I owned that I remember were the Monsters Inc as in like the official uh, movie game for time, Game Boy yeah. Color. That that was kind of bad. Um, yeah. I owned a James Bond game on the original Game Boy. It was a, a top-down shooter. Oh wow! Which was um, interesting. I got stuck so quickly though, and that was the days before I'd I'd even used the internet. So yeah, it was kind of just like, well, I'm stuck. Never mind. Yeah, just I'll try again out. one day. Yeah, exactly. Um, and another funny story I should mention, and I, I didn't actually play much of this game, but I really do want to and download it on the virtual console. Was I was on holiday, and we we had like a villa in the Highlands, um, and we went out for for some lunch while the cleaner came. And when we got back, the cleaner said that she discovered this Game Boy game down the back of the sofa. And <laughs> it was a Game Boy color game. It was The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages. Yeah. And I was like, I'd, I'd never even played Zelda at this point in time. I was so shocked that they'd actually found a Game Boy game just down the back of a sofa. And I felt I, I felt sorry for who's, whoever it was before. But, but I, it's mine I, now! But it's mine <laughs> And they can suck it, but yeah. So, <laughs> so I've played about an hour of that game a very, very long time ago, but um, it's definitely something I need to try out and sort of rounded yeah. my collection out a bit. Sure, and I mean, talking about that, we can kind of segue into the virtual console these days on 3DS and uh, games that you have intentions of playing because they're now very readily available and at this point in time, we have much greater ability to play them. Um I personally have already played a few Game Boy Virtual Console games. I don't think you've picked any up, Bally, but no, I have yet. Mario Land 2 and uh, the first two Wario Land games, the second of which I'm actually uh, planning on playing for uh, the next kind of uh, couple of weeks. Uh, uh, so that is uh, some stuff that I kind of went back through. I'd never played the Wario Land games before, and I've now played a pretty good amount of them, and uh, it's a really interesting series, and it's really interesting to go back to. Um, I, I want to go back to the Zelda games too. What, what are the ones you think, Bally, that you'd probably go ahead and download from Virtual Console? Um, definitely the Pokemon trading card game, even though I already own it, um, because the batteries on... Um, I talked about this the other time, but the batteries on these Game Boy cartridges just run out and it right. you can't save your game. Yeah, so I'd yeah. probably pick up Oracle of Ages or Seasons, um, 
Pokemon trading card game, like I said. I'd love to play six golden coins, Super Mario Land 2 again. Um, I'd like to try the Wario Land games, actually. Yeah, I, I need to try those. I'm, I'm going to keep going with my Metroid streak at, at some yeah. point. But Metroid 2 is one I will probably play eventually in a very long time. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I know that it's it has some mixed opinions. Um, yeah. And apparently it's an incredibly tough game. I mean, there's um, also Link's Awakening, which was the first yes. kind of Nintendo-published uh, Zelda game on a handheld. And uh, I think that's definitely one that a lot of people hold in high regard. Um, yeah. So that's one to go back to. And uh, for me, maybe like some Mega Man games. I've, I've heard recently on RFN about Mega Man 5 on uh, Game Boy Virtual Console, which apparently is really good. And, you know, that's something I might check out, of course, because uh, I'm, I'm kind of intending on going on a bit of a Mega Man streak at some point, uh, like your Metroid one, and kind yes. of burning through a lot of those. Because uh, <laughs> they're a lot of fun mechanically, and I, I'm really down for that sort of stuff. So It's, it's the way that um, at the time when the Game Boy was out, we had no recollection of what was good what was bad we were suckers for the the third party stuff to some extent not that not not that third party is bad but third party in the sense of movie tie-in games and and just kind of it's nice to have the virtual console here now so we can go back and say actually these are some really classic games we never got to play um because i just kind of stumbled upon games like Oracle of Ages, Super Mario Land 1 and 2. They all I never bought any of those. They were both discovered down the back of a couch or like I said on the previous episode I think. Um my my mum's cousin's son just basically said, "Here, I don't play them anymore. Have these games." So Yeah, yeah. It was just it's weird how now I basically read reviews. I I know what I like. I know what games I think are going to be good, what games are going to be bad, and I I'm better at judging what to buy, what not to buy. At that point in time, it was just... It was the play, Wild West, play really. What you're given. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And obviously everyone owned Pokemon, and that was a fantastic game uh, by all accounts. So, it, yeah, it was a weird time. Certainly. Um, but hey, I think we got a lot of fun out of that era, regardless of, of all that stuff, you know? Um, yeah. It was very much an introduction to the world of gaming. Game Boy, as an introduction, you couldn't get much better, to be honest. Like, there was mm-hmm. some fantastic stuff there, and uh, uh, really pulled us in. So, um, so there you go. Uh, I, th- I think that that's probably going to close us out here for the show. Uh, but, uh, hey, uh, if you enjoyed the segment, uh, let us know about your experiences with the Game Boy. We'd love to hear from you. And, of course, you can email all of those things to uh, our email address, which is Bally nyppquestions at gmail.com um, we've got quite a few emails but we're going to need more so keep oh, yeah. coming keep send them through we uh, we love hearing from you and uh, yeah keep keep that good work up uh, of course if you want to know what's going on during the uh, the breaks between our shows uh, then you of course follow us on the social media uh, Twitter uh, I am at Lord NBZ on Twitter I am Lord NBZ on Meverse as well and uh, maybe uh, gonna go through some stuff on on there and post a bit more but uh, the stuff I have lined up for the future uh, may not be uh, amenable to that although playing Warrior Land 2 on Virtual Console and 3DS I can certainly post a bit about that so uh, that could be cool um, what about you Bally? 
I am at Ballyman91, that's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1, and that is also my name on uh, Meverse as well as Twitter. Um, I've been posting quite a lot on Twitter recently, actually. I'm, I'm past a thousand tweets, which is... Oh, wow! Congratulations! Quite a lot for me, yeah. So um, yeah. I'm closing in on the 15,000 mark, so. Ah, I'm, I'm catching up, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, gonna, it's one day. One day, day I'm going to be older than you, so yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Follow me on there. All right. Fantastic. Um, uh, you can review us, of course, on iTunes. Rate and review us. And uh, that is really appreciated. We haven't had any ones recently. So if you would like us to uh, you know, talk about your review on the show and read it out, that's a really cool way of uh, getting some of your words uh, on here. So uh, uh, you can go ahead and do that. And we really do appreciate it because it means that more people can find us and uh, helps everything out. But uh, I think that is pretty much going to be it for today. Um, so uh, thank you once again for listening. Thank you for sticking with us for these 20 episodes. Uh, quite a while, but uh, we're going to continue uh, with this podcast train. It's not stopping anytime soon. Onwards and upwards. Indeed. Uh, so uh, we will catch you uh, in a couple of weeks' time with uh, all the latest and greatest from uh, ourselves. Until um, then, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. I had like another running issue yesterday. Oh no, here we go. And I was literally at Westminster and okay. I'm just like, oh my god, I need to leave so bad. I can't <laughs> I can't run anymore. Like it was my own fault. I had four samosas for lunch. <laughs> four lamb samosas. And I, I was like before my run I was like, right, I'll go to the loo before my run, it'll all be fine. I tried, nothing happened. I was like, right, fine, it's not digested, I'll be absolutely fine. I ran, I was like six almost 6 to 8k into my run yeah and I was literally at the halfway point so I was about 6 to 8k away from home and I stupidly didn't bring like any money or an oyster card or oh, anything oh no and, and I was just like god I really really need to leave <laughs> it was a horrible feeling and like it hit me so suddenly as well yeah and then I basically walked about four kilometers needing... Because I couldn't run. It was too painful to run. I had Jesus to walk. Christ. So it took ages to, like, get anywhere. Um, yeah, so anyway, I just, like, walked into this restaurant and just went straight to the loo. <laughs> <laughs> just didn't care. Everyone was staring at me like, what the hell is that? Guy? And like, then he just I'm wearing, out. like, a running vest and running shorts and running shoes. And yeah, then yeah. I just went in the loo took a shit and just walked out <laughs> and just ran the rest home <laughs> oh dear <laughs> fuck the world just oh, just wow. do it you should have just found a bush that's easy right? in yeah. central London <laughs> like there, there are parks they have green uh, that would have been I would have done that in a split second in Scotland um, yeah because my running routes in Scotland are always near like 
bushes near the nature near nature but well, yeah. Scotland is more near nature anyway isn't it so yeah, true but oh my goodness. horrible situation I, I hate stuff like that I can't I can't deal with that yeah and it, it, too much. God. anyway Right. Well, that's great. That's that was a great, great story. I hope. Thanks for that. Hope you liked it. And they come at you hard. They come at you fast. They come up behind you. 